reading this morning is Jeremiah 17. There's two passages, Jeremiah 17, 1 through 8, and then Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. Join with me. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their eshram. Beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains, in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your heritage that I gave to you. And I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled and shall burn forever. Thus the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And in chapter 1, 9 and 10, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. May the Lord bless his holy word. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, there's no other way to express um, what it means to be a church that is 10 years old other than God has been good to us and God is good and will be good to us. Amen? And this morning our worship is, uh, I would describe it as the, uh, the, the crown to an evening on Friday that was filled with food and fellowship and fun and testimony and reflection. And so I want to thank uh, Laura Elizabeth and their crew. Anybody, y'all here, stand up. Let me just say thank you. And uh, the crew that helped y'all, why don't y'all stand up too, the crew. Come on, Larissa, I ate your cupcakes. Go on and stand up too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for, for making it a, a definitely a night uh, to um, remember, we have some uh, visitors, special visitors with, with us today. The, the youth group from Good Shepherd um, PCA Church in Winston-Salem is here. Why don't you all stand up for us today? Good to have you all. From where? Durham, Winston-Salem. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> from Durham. I'm sorry. I apologize, guys. And, um, what? They're what? Both tobacco, Both tobacco towns? One of those tobacco towns. Right. Um, good to have you guys with us today. And, um, so a key passage um, that has really taken hold and root in what the leaders and I here at Christ Central believe God is calling us to as a church is before you today. And I want to take this opportunity to let God speak to us from it. I looked it up the other day, and the 10th wedding anniversary is the 10 
or the aluminum anniversary. Why don't you try that one? Baby, I bought you an aluminum ring. <laughs> a tin ring. Here's some aluminum foil. I love you. But I thought about how fitting for where we are. It is a year of shaping, I believe. It's a year of being bent in new ways for the purposes of God. Tin and aluminum might, be, might mean being useful and indispensable for God. It is about being recycled, used, and called afresh. And for a church like ours committed to being an eclectic community that engages in an authentic worship of God, is motivated and changed by a clear message of grace from the Bible, and who is called to redeem all of creation. This passage is calling us to recognize where we need to be individually and as a church to be shaped and molded by God now and for our future. Let me tell you, it is easy as it has been a struggle for me, because when you're the pastor, you see everything, to not to look back at 10 years and, and be condemned and, and discouraged by the struggles and the mess and the ways we have not become what I thought we would by now and be tempted to forsake and forget what it truly and really means and has meant all these years to be God's church and God's people. And our pastors today, God's people back then, sometime in the 700 BCs, had become a disappointment of sorts to themselves and thus to their God. They had all kind of awful circumstances around them. And so it was easy for them to give up and to worship what were no gods at all and start living like people without identity, vision, mission, or a God. Well, the Lord was not having it. The Lord was not going to lose them so easily. So he sends a prophet, the, the book's namesake, Jeremiah, to call them to better, to, to call them back, to motivate, motivate them forward by letting them know that first, sin has made things bad. Secondly, that we are miserable without him, the Lord. And finally, that he, God, calls his people to flourish in a fallen world. This passage in chapter 17 starts off with some pretty elementary, but not always so obvious to us truths. Like, guess what? Your sin, our sin, original sin, makes us sinful. What do I mean by sinful? It makes us sinners, and it makes our world sin-damaged. Jeremiah is saying in, in verse 1, let us read it together. It says, that, let me read it, not together. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altar. And Jeremiah is saying that, that, that sin is like a tool that, that puts permanent marks on our hearts, that, that when you and I disobey God and, and when someone else disobeys God in their mistreatment of you, it changes us at the core. It actually shapes the way and why you feel. It, it changes your affections, what you love and like and are motivated by. But the second part of this is the fact that this heart is a heart of stone, which means that the sin damage on it has a permanent home. That sin on a heart of stone cannot be washed away. 
Like a stone, it, it seals your fate as an enemy of God. It makes you a sin lover. It is your heart, a sinner like a felon before God, who, who unlike someone who has a heart of flesh, who may experience the scars of sin but may heal up over time, having a heart of stone means disobeying God like the altar illustration here with sins written on it. Like you live religiously. That is religiously according to your brokenness. You worship, your worship is your desire to do what should not be done. God is declaring for his people who should have hearts of flesh and act like they have hearts of flesh and whose altars are there to wash away their sins, that they are acting like they love their sin and sinful lives more than they love him. But the writer goes on to tell us that sin has brought damage to the world and damages our world. Look with me at verses 2 through 4. While their children remember their altars and and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains and the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give you for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Now he is saying that when you disobey me, God is saying, not only is your world and how you do life going to be crazy and messed up, and and you lose a bunch of stuff. But by mentioning their children here, he is saying that our sin has destroyed not only our generation and us, but will badly affect the next, that the natural and supernatural consequences of sin has messed and mixed up and confused the next generation. A history and heritage, if you will, of darkness, of evil, of forgetting God, of being forgotten. This is a real sobering truth, isn't it? Our sin has some serious effects on us. Our disobedience and willful distance may be idle, I-D-O-L, false, but it is not idle, right? I-D-L-E. It will and had some true and devastating effects on us and the people in the world we live and interact with. And Jeremiah is saying that somehow people, and even God's people, you and I, have decided that it's easier, better, less tricky, freer, happier, more fulfilling, and immediately pleasurable in some way or another to live with and manage and fix those sinful lives and sinful hearts that we have crafted apart from God. What Jeremiah is trying to communicate and remind them back then and and us today is that Living like that, carrying and dealing with your own sin in a sinful and fallen world will simply cause us to live in even more misery. Look at this illustration and picture he paints here in verses 5 and 6. It says, thus says the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength, whose, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. I want to bring to your attention that this cursed bush or shrub is not a dead branch. It is living. But living and motivated 
in and by misery that someone like this shrub or brush apart from God feel and lack, feel and ha- through their lack of relief from God, they don't know what it means to not live in a world that is fierce and ferocious. Look back at verse 6 with me one more time. It says, He is like a, shri- like a shrub sorry, in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. This is a, an accurate description of where you and I live, believe it or not. In a fallen and broken, twisted by disobedience to God world. It is described as a wilderness, which means we live in an unpredictable world. Where will you think you have truth and it's really falsehood? Will you think you have faithfulness and security? And, and those things come and go. Where there is, is more mirage and hallucination of redemption than true rest, right? Where there is nothing to hold on to. There is nothing that is guaranteed and nothing that we can be sure is worth it. Not position, not friendships, not alliances, not romance, not finance. So this bush that is surviving and existing without the Lord as its hope. If we are like that bush, we have no option but to fight and play games, and plead, and debase ourselves, and live by and for pleasure, and survival, and vengeance, and anger, and applause, and and money, and power, and sex, and status, and good looks, and being important, and and trying to be accepted, and, and heard and seen by others at all costs, possessing and controlling, self promotion, and self protection, and popularity. That is what it's like to live like this shrub in the wilderness apart from. God. Instead of freely flourishing, we've become locked down survivalists and scavengers of what I would describe as a roadkill love and meaning. That weren't bad enough. This passage says that this world is filled with salt. The Bible is painting a horrific picture here of living outside the Lord. Because it is saying that in all you do to stay alive and be happy, to get along without the Lord, is drying and slow poison to your soul in some way. In our work, in our relationships, in our communities, in our philosophies, in our culture, is this spiritual salt water that is ultimately eating and and corroding away our God-given dignity in some way and leaving us empty, never satisfied, and lonely. Lonely. It says in an uninhabited land, which means lonely without God in the world. You know what compounds the misery of living without God? The sheer fact and frustration that you and I can do nothing to reverse the curse. But we'll only make the curse worse, right? Look at verse 5. Curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When it says curse is the one who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, it is saying doomed, headed to destruction. About to be a cosmic mess for the man who's trying to be the man. If you play an Olympics, if you play a sport like football or do that, 
Olympic sport I've been watching just a little bit on the side. I hadn't really been into it like I was before. Sport like, you know, that slalom thing that I play on the Wii and I'm pretty good at, where you jump and you do all that. Some of y'all might be too young to remember the Wild Wild, you mean the um, ABC Sports. Wild Wild World, what? Wild, wide world of sports. Y'all remember that intro to that thing? Dun, 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 and had the music going, and that slalom skater goes down, and he misses the jump. He spins like 20 times. If you play a sport like that, or hockey, or football, with a uniform, still I say to you, good luck. You could get seriously injured. And if you've seen a high those folk flying on the skis with just a helmet, even with a helmet, you could still die. I don't want to crush anybody's Olympic hopes, but you could die if you're doing slalom. Do that other thing where you slide that rock. I like that thing. <laughs> yeah! Athletes! I saw a video, Ray Lewis hit Chad Ochocinco. Old video, y'all got to look that up on YouTube. He hit him so hard across the middle as he caught the ball that his helmet shot off his head. Man, I love seeing that like 20 times. Maybe I got a problem. But when you look at that video, you think just for a minute, when I first saw it, I thought his head was still in the helmet. When it went flying 10 yards down the field, it just seemed pow, and that helmet went. I'm like, is his head in there? Ray Lewis hit him so hard, he had to do like this. Whew. He had to take a breather. But if you were to get on the skis down that hill, or on that ice, or on that football field with just your skin, no pads, talking about, I want to tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's my favorite song. Not only definitely you're going to get hurt, like verse 6 says, hurt, but like verse 6 says, Absolutely, positively, no good could possibly come out of it. The point the writer is making here is when you try to live life without the Lord, it's like going on the football field without pads. They wouldn't use this language, but they're probably saying, you're stupid. I'm going to live my life on my own. I'm the man. Huh? In this world, in this fallen, broken world, it's bound to be what? No good. Without the Lord, that's all you got. You and I are subject to the frustration of being mere humans with mere flesh, and not only naturally, but a supernaturally fierce world where we are wearing pork chop underwear in a doggy dog world, and whether you're singing a Pharrell-like happy song or doing your happy dance and feeling control or thinking this will pass because you are optimistic or lucky, don't be fooled. Without the Lord, your and my life will end in tragedy. I was researching these desert shrubs, and they live simply to one day be uprooted and thrown away. They're weeds. They're uprooted and thrown away by someone who might be expanding the roads one day or whose kingdom eventually will come. And to be clear who that someone is and what that looks like, look at our other passage in Jeremiah 1. Who's clearing out these shrubs? (laughs) 
It's a hard one. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to what? To pluck up and to bring down and to destroy. I'm going to stop there and to overthrow. To pluck up means to uproot. Jeremiah, the prophet's calling, was to do the work and will and give the words of God. So it was not Jeremiah who uproot and judge the life of a person living apart from God, but God himself who will bring an end to futile, sinful, miserable living one way or another, right? Look at verse 7 and 8 in chapter 17 again. Paying close attention to the first half of verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in a year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Again, the first half of, chapter, of verse 7, it says that the one who trusts in the Lord is blessed. Blessed and not cursed, then, is the person who obeys God, who follows God, who risks their life and decisions with him, who puts all their chips on the God spot. And this verse in, 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 in picture tells us that, that what that trust looks like. It says a person who trusts the Lord is like a tree that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear and is not anxious in drought. And to be rooted in the stream means a person who is actively trusting the Lord, drinks deep of the Lord in word and prayer and sacraments. They drink for spiritual health and, and help and power and renewal in a salty, brindy world. You ever eat a good piece of country ham? Good country ham is salty. The saltier, the better. Man... I go fishing with John Otzenberger, Linda, yeah, that's your husband. He and I, we'd be stopping by on the way to the lake at Hardy's, the country ham and egg biscuit. Woo, that's some good eating right there. It's so salty, but as a black man, it's dangerous. All I saw killing us, my white brothers and sisters, you might not know. But hypertension is a real issue for us. But I like some country ham. But you know what I do to make myself feel better? You can always make yourself feel better about eating a good piece of salty country ham by drinking a gallon of water. Ain't that true? Like you eat a pizza and I got to have water and then I feel good about myself, you know? If living in this world is taking in too much salt for your soul, then the water and streams of God's grace is the counter to its poison and death, not only to feel better, but then to actually do and be better. Just like every area of life is affected but with sin, the poison of selfishness, abuse, exploitation, greed, and lust, what the person who trusts in the Lord does is send out its roots, its core, its being, not root, but root, so that in every area of life, they, they saturate it and drown it and, and wash it with the gospel, with what God has said and promised, filling us with God's good. 
It means that if you trust the Lord, you take, we take our sickness and our sins and our history and our wrongs to the Lord through the stream, and, and we are washed and then filled with what is right and true. It means that we ask the Lord to take our sins away, to clean up and own our mess for us, that we say, here I am, Lord, a sinner, or a child of God who has sinned. Wash me and clean me. Let your grace and forgiveness flow over and through my heart, my mind, and my soul. Take this heart of stone and give me a new one of flesh, and this heart of flesh and heal it. Make us holy. And it means that we put ourselves and our lives in his word and in his church, in his worship, in his sacraments, his fellowship. We put it in a position, in the way, in in the downstream of his grace for a watershed in our lives, for real change, for real hope, to see and taste and experience the world differently than we ever could have without him. It also says that the person who trusts in God does not fear when heat comes or is anxious in drought. But its leaves stay green. You know what that means? It means they keep their identity. They don't change with the weather or the circumstances. They stay true and faithful regardless. Heat, of course, referring to this fallen world and the many emotions and stuff we feel inside that drain and draw us out. A drought meaning not seeing or feeling the progress in your life that you want to and expected from God. You know what fearful, anxious people do? Think for a minute. What do they do? You've been scared and anxious. What do you do? Fearful, anxious people. I know, because I'm one of them sometimes. We'll do and be almost anything and nothing to anybody and nobody. Right? Scared people will do anything. Right? You know, ever going into a haunted house with a scary person? They will see what is not truly there. And then tear the arm off of you and jump into the arms of anyone who may not even be able to carry them. People jump in their own children's arms when they're scared, right? One of the anti-gun carrying arguments is, is the scary scenario of scared and anxious people made so by in the heat, heat of the moment turning to their guns. Now, I'm not declaring what side of the gun thing I'm on, so don't even try it. Just an illustration. But in the scary, anxious situation, anyone could get shot, Right? that comes at or out to a scared, made, anxious person in the wrong way. And that would be easy since scary, anxious people will run and won't run when they should and not even know what or whether they're running from or whether they're running to safety or worse. A scary, anxious person will fall down and worship and promise anything in the moment, paralyzed to do what is right or true, to get fear out or off of them. The person who trusts in God of the Bible says they that trust the Bible, do not run to just anyone or any place. I, I just wonder, like, imagine this world filled with scary, anxious people saying anything, worshiping anything, doing anything to take the anxiety away. And the Bible is saying in heat and in drought, the person who trusts the Lord 
doesn't just say anything, and they don't just worship anyway, and they don't do anything they have to to get out the situation. No, they their leaves stay green, and they continue to bear fruit of someone who has who believes the Lord has their back, that they will not be driven by fear or anxiety, but faith and assurance that God's word and grace is true. They will not forget who they are, who God is in hard times. They will stay the same and will not change and turn color and sell out or act like a desert bush when they are a tree in the heat. I know what you're thinking, some of you. I was thinking it too when I was working on this. I got to this point. When the Bible is telling me to not start looking for a way to condition the air or try to prove on, or change the atmosphere or location when, get, when things get hot in my life or get worried that this Christianity thing is not working considering that I feel like, like some of you feel like I am drying up and uninhabited. Some of you are feeling dried up and uninhabited in your sex life or romantically or emotionally or vocationally and socially. With as lonely as you are, and as stupid, crazy, evil this world is, why would you stay by the stream that seems to be failing to give relief? Why wouldn't you take a spiritual vacation or rent some less than godly spiritual property in a better climate or season than you're dealing with now? Why, when the relationships look so empty, shouldn't you help yourself? Why, when things and people get too heated or disappointing in life, why wouldn't you start being vindictive and angry and hating and envious of everybody? Why not? You know, we Presbyterians are good at talking about and understanding sin and brokenness and living broken. You know, I'm just a real sinner. I'm just broken. We, we do our sin, we get mad. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a broken person, you know? We love that word broken, right? We just, just real broken. <laughs> but I got good news for you. Not just broken news for you. Because some of you thought verse 5 and 6, the cursed bushes chorus of this song was about you and was your final hope. Hear this, Christ Central Church. For those who are in Christ, for those who are among the blessed people of God, the curse is not your story. It is not the picture and developing and progressing and final picture of you. You might be living like that because things are hard and scarce right now, but if you are in Christ, you shouldn't be having to live like that because just like the hands of God uproot, Jeremiah also says this in, passage, in the passage from chapter 1. Look, with, look at it with me. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this day over, set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, but also to what? To build and to plant. And then Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord and is like a tree planted by water. You know that word for plant? Not only means plant, but transplant. That the story of the cursed person, person in the shrub in the desert was your story, may have been your story, 
but now you are and will be the blessed tree if you're in Christ because God through the ministry of his word and work of his son Jesus Christ has plucked you and me out of our history and sinful ways and heart out of the desert and wilderness of sin and misery and transplanted us in the grove of his grace. That's what it means when it says in verse 7, the second half there, whose trust is in the Lord. It means that you and I who know the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins and for those of you who will turn to him. Turn your frustrated and fragile and sin-subjective lives over to the Lord that we will be what? In the trust of the Lord. It means that our lives have been taken possession of. That Lord went out to the desert and he saw an ugly bush, right? That, that what was ugly and distasteful to ourselves and many, and most importantly to God, has been taken over, plucked up, loved, adopted by, picked up by Jesus and entrusted to the Lord's care. It means having your life where God is and not just standing in the power of your mere humanness, but in the protection and padding of his divine providence, promises, power, and righteousness. And that is important to know. Because though you and who, those of you who are the Lord's, who, who may come to know the Lord, are not cursed. We will continue to live in a sinful world. And as people who are acquainted with sin, who are tempted and tested by sin, like the tree here, heat will come. We will feel it in our lives. Brokenness will come. Temptation will come. There will be times of drought in our lives. We will struggle with the feel, with feeling the results of living in a sinful world. There will be times when spiritually believers won't feel as alive as they have in the past, where there doesn't seem to be enough faith to do what God is calling them to be and do. And yes, you believers might even act like a shrub and commit sin because it feels like a desert. But the good news, the gospel, is that though the heat and the drought may come, though you might be slipping and struggling and sliding, and though it might be a long spiritual resultless drought in your life and a long period of struggle with something pressing in on your faith, and yes, though it seems to be no end to the struggle with this sin or that sin, you are still in the trust of the Lord. If you are in Christ, you are in the grove of his grace and you cannot be plucked out or plucked out of it. Because regardless of the heat, like this tree, your identity in Christ, if you are his, is his to give freely. And no one and no circumstance can take the greenness of his grace that makes you his away. And when things get dry, God will not and has not finished or given up on you. Unlike the tree that struggles and has to fight and kicks against all odds to just end up condemned in the grove of God's grace in Christ Those who know him, no matter how they've messed up or how bleak things look on the way, God's power and presence will not leave them alone and will never dry up and will never stop working on them to bring out his life and love and beauty and peace through them. Let me say it again because I don't think some of you heard it. You are not cursed. If you are in Christ, you are not a bush of life in wilderness without hope, and you don't have to be and live like one. 
How do they say it in the Gospels, right? The voice of God is crying out where? In the wilderness. Make straight the pathway for the Lord because he, Jesus, has come to uproot what is fragile and futile and failing and falling and replant and redeem and renew and restore to it the resurrection and eternal life of God to people like you and me. I got good news, I said. In a world that feels and runs like a desert, you and I in Christ are going to be all right. We're going to be okay because we live in the life that God has planted us by his grace in Christ Jesus. So let the heat come. Let the drought come. Yes, y'all are in it. Yes, it's easy to want to turn colors, but let me tell you, your color is not your own, but it is a gift of the Lord and nobody can take it away. And so by God's grace, we have been and are will continue to be trees individually, but as a congregation, a tree rooted in the grove of God's grace that the world and the people in the church will be green and alive with worship and joy and resolution to live for Jesus, that we'll be a church that has the low-hanging fruit, a wide and far-reaching shade-giving leaves of God's rest and relief to offer a world of people who are living in the desert, struggling in frustration and misery, that we will be a church and people thriving and flourishing and spreading and growing in a dry, lonely, and sinful world. That will therefore be a people who, being a tree planted in the groves of grace, will be a living testimony, a praise, a glory, a work of God's message of love and grace for broken, sinful people. And the Redeemer and Keeper and planter of people in God's grove of grace. Ten years. You ain't never been outside the grove of God's grace, Christ Central, if, when you knew, if you know Christ. Ten years more, regardless of whether the institution of this particular church comes to an end, even in drought, even in the greatest despair you could ever feel, your leaves will remain green and God will be faithful to be fruitful in your life.